0: If you're a visitor and you don't know who I am, my name is Luke and I'm one of the leaders here in this church. I'm about to see if there's anything else I need to be sharing with you uh, that I didn't know about uh, a few moments ago. Um, And so consider yourself welcomed. Um, There are, we have the most amazing kids facilities. We really do. And, uh, Obviously, shame one of our little guys just tripped and fell. Now, these things happen. But if you're a parent joining us with kids now, we have the most incredible fields to play in. Uh, and I would encourage you to go and to bring your kids along if you, uh, if you would like to uh, do that. Um, I'm not going to pretend to have prepared this. Please, let's be mindful of our COVID protocols. Uh, enough. Wow, it just looks like, um, have we got enough space for us, actually? Are we are we okay as I look around here? If you're joining us, Pete, there's an empty seat here as well if you want to come join us in a special row. Yeah? There's, uh, these two seats have opened up as well. Um, if, you, if you are standing and you haven't yet got a seat, you're welcome. There's still a few seats in the front here which you can come and make use of. As a church, uh, since COVID, we haven't been taking up a financial offering physically. We've been doing that uh, via EFT. It's uh, far safer in terms of COVID, etc. But it's also helped us to discipline our lives and uh, to not be uh, kind of haphazard with our generosity. To do it kind of from a more more values-based thing where we make a decision as we budget each month. And so I just want to stop and take a second to all of you who are underwriting the work of God in this church. To all of you who are being generous to God and to his people through this church, I want to say thank you so much. Thank you so much for your ongoing generosity. And um, and I want you to know how hard we're working at stewarding that. And uh, really, our church is in a financially healthy place through the season because of the generosity of, uh, of the people of God in this family. And so I want to say thank you so much for your generosity. Um, and uh, if you would like to to join an army of generous people who live in the South Peninsula with your giving, and there is our, there is our banking details. If you're online, you can screenshot that right now, and uh, you can hang on to those. Otherwise, as you came in, there was a, um, uh, a little flyer that told you something about our church. All the details are on there. I'm so sorry for poorly... Um, uh, Managing the welcome now, but I really, I came here really to preach something from the Bible that I was really excited for. I came here wearing my Man Camp 2021 cap uh, because I was at Man Camp this weekend. I drove back early. I left at about uh, five o'clock this morning to come back here to be with us today. It's amazing that side. We've got one of my really good friends, Arno, uh, Arno Debray, and there's his lovely wife, Claire. Just give us a little wave, Claire. She's with us today. Uh, Arno is there. but he's speaking to our men. He's talking to them through relationships relationships and how the gospel put at the center of our lives changes the way we do relationships the way in which we relate to one another. Um, And it's just been amazing. And so that's going really well. Um, And this was a little gift from Man Camp that all the guys who went there got. And so I thought I'd wear it today in honor of that. Where are we in our Exodus journey today? Well, let me recap. Last week, we looked at how God leads his people. We looked at how God leads His people and led His people through the wilderness journey toward their next destination, their first destination, but not their final destination, their first destination, which we have arrived at today. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 19. We're in in week 8 of our sermon series through the book of Exodus, and we have arrived now at our first destination. God has led His people out of Egypt through the wilderness and has brought them to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And we're going to be journeying with them today from their arrival at the mountain, Exodus chapter 19. And what we're going to do is we're going to track with this passage. I'll read it through in full, and then we're going to unpack what it means uh, to them then and to our lives here today. If you are new to the Bible. Let me tell you very briefly, Exodus is the story of how God brought his people out from under slavery in Egypt into, a, into really a relationship with him. Uh, Exodus is the story of how they were slaves to the gods of this world, and God delivered them. He broke the power of the gods of this world over their lives and he led them out into, a, into the wilderness where he led them through a pillar of fire and through cloud. And then in the wilderness wanderings, we saw how God supernaturally uh, provided for his people, protected his people. How, how he led them himself to the foot of this mountain we're going to be reading from now in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1, let's read together. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and they set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. A lot of repetition going on there. And the repetition is there to tell us that there's a new chapter in the story of Israel. Something new is going to happen now. There's a gear change. And, uh, and, and this new chapter centers around the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. Before we go into what happened there, do you remember the last time Moses was there? If you've been tracking with us from week one in our series, do you remember the last time Moses stood on this spot? I'll let you in on what happened there. There was a burning bush. Moses was shepherding his sheep, and he was wandering around in the desert looking for food to feed them, for place to rest them. And there he came across a bush that was burning, and he went over to see what was going on. And there it was that God appeared to him, the very same place that they're standing now. And just as God uh, appeared to him now, God would appear to them, except there's been so much water under the bridge since that first moment, eh? God met with Moses in that very place before there was a plague that took place, before there was a showdown with Pharaoh, before they crossed the Red Sea, before there was manna from heaven, before this incredible journey through the wilderness. The last time Moses stood on this very spot, God got a hold of the life of an ordinary shepherd. And now the people of God, millions, stand there free. It's just, I mean, you must imagine what it must have been like for Moses to get back to that spot. And and, and probably remembering what it was like the last time, afraid, God, could you really be doing this? Is this something I'm just making up in my head, or is this really real? And now he stands there, and God has done it. Do you remember what God said to Moses? Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. This is what God said to Moses there. He said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign that I am the one who has sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me at this very mountain, And it's exactly what has happened. God has done it. I mean, I didn't want to miss that. I think for Moses, he was probably having a bit of a singing and dancing party right there with excitement. Uh, Well, let's read on verse 3, what's going down here. And then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. And the Lord called to Moses from the mountain and he said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob, announce it to the descendants of Israel these are the instructions. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and you keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be My kingdom of priests, my holy nation, this is the message that you must give back to the people of Israel. So Moses goes up the mountain, and then Moses comes back down the mountain with a message for the people from God himself. And the message is an invitation verse 7, so Moses returned from the mountain and he called together all the elders of the people and he told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. And the people responded, they said, yes, Moses, tell God we are in. Verse 9, and the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses. So the people... um, So the people bring, tell the people, no, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses. So the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure that they are ready on the third day. For on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai. As, uh, as all the people watch, mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people. Be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them and shoot them with arrows, lest they be put to death. They must be. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up the mountain. So Moses went down to the people and he consecrated them for worship and they washed their clothes. And he told them, get ready for the third day and abstain from having sexual intercourse. We'll double back and unpack that in a second. Verse 16. And on the morning of the third day, the thunder roared and the lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. And there was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of a fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of the mount, on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses climbed the mountain. Who knew that one of the characteristics for being a leader of God's people was incredibly strong quads, <laughs> right? This is the third time Moses had to work his way up the mountain. And then the Lord told Moses, go back down <laughs> and warn the people to not break through the boundaries to see the Lord, or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. But Lord, Moses protested, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me, mark off a boundary all around the mountain and set it apart as holy. I think Moses is trying to get out of this because his legs are sore. doesn't want to go back and tell them what he's already told them. But the Lord said, go down and bring Aaron back up with you. In the meantime, do not let the priests and the people break through the, uh, to approach the Lord, for he will break out and destroy them. And so Moses went down to the people and he told them what the Lord had said. And then probably Moses went to rest. <laughs> Let's pray. God, as we come before this this monumental piece of scripture, this mountain in in the scriptures, we ask that you would come and speak to us today. Speak to us of your invitation to our lives to be part of the people of God and what that means in this moment in history. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so so far we have seen that God delivers his people out of Egypt We've seen God taking his people out of Egypt. But today we're starting to see what his people are delivered into. Right, Michael Eaton says this the great this is the great lesson of the Bible. Salvation by the blood of the Lamb is only the beginning. Remember the Passover? Salvation by the blood of the Lamb is only the beginning of God's purpose for his people. And today our big idea is this: God rescues us into a covenant relationship with him. God rescues us into a covenant relationship with him. Covenant Covenant means, it's not a word we use today too much, but covenant is is this. It means a relationship between people where promises are given and are confirmed by the taking of an oath. A relationship between two people where there's terms, there's promises given, and and it is confirmed by taking of an oath. It's more than a contract. It's the most binding form of relationship that we can know. Still today in the church, we believe that marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman who enter into a covenant. They take vows as they join themselves together. Remember the vows? Uh, Forsaking all others in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, all the days of my life. It's a broad covenant, the strongest foundation by which to do relationship that is known to us. And our marriage is a horizontal covenant before God. It's also a vertical covenant with God, yes. But it's, but it's shaped after, and it's so important because it's shaped after the vertical covenant that God makes with us. And this covenant that God makes with his people is expressed in verse 4 to verse 6. I think these are the key words of this chapter, possibly the whole book, possibly even the whole of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God, and God gives this message to his people. Here's where we zoom in, verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me, there's a condition here, and you keep my covenant, then you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. It's a statement of monotheism. God is the one God of the whole universe. And verse 6, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message. Let's go slowly through these words first phrase or first little bit for us here you have seen what i did to the egyptians god is speaking about how through the plagues he delivered his people out uh, out of the out of the control out of the influence out of the leadership of the egyptians and he brought justice to their oppressors he says you know how i carried you on eagle's wings I carried you through the desert, through the barren wilderness. I carried you. I, I led you through the Red Sea. I provided for you. In the, in the ancient world, eagles were known for their strength, for their beauty, for their marvelous eyesight, for their incredible care of their young. And God says, I rescued you and carried you on eagles' wings. And then, and here's the kicker. He says, I rescued you and I carried you out into the promised land doesn't say that what does it say it says and I brought you to myself the destination for God is not a place, but it's a person. It's God himself. I love that the destination God is leading them to is not some piece of geography, although that will be a part of their future. It's to a person. It's to God himself because God is inviting these people into relationship with him. And I think that's just amazing. This is There's nothing that they've done for God. They've done nothing to deserve it. They've done nothing to earn it. But God has, by his grace, brought them it. Thank you, Siri. God has, by grace, brought them into relationship with him. Remember the metaphor that we looked at when we first launched this book uh, eight weeks ago. We spoke of one of the ways we can understand Exodus is that of a father who is coming down to rescue a child from an abusive uh, Home, And he rescues this child so that he can then adopt this child. And this child can become his own child. We get that from Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 to 4. As God speaks back over his experience of the exodus. And this would be the part of the story where God has rescued the child from the abusive home. He's broken the power of abuse that was over that child. He's then now through the wilderness begun introducing himself to the child. Showing him, I'm your I'm a good provider. I'm a protector. I'm a healer. I'm your warrior. I'm your banner. When you're in battle and you hear the cry and things are going bad, bad, you rally to me. God has revealed himself to his people. And now he says, now you know who I am. This is the point where he says, I would like to adopt you. Would you be my child? This is that point of the story now you've seen who i am now would you make this formal it's an incredible invitation I, I, it's amazing it's an invitation it's not a command it's not a decree but but there are terms verse 5 and 6 we read uh, now if you obey me and keep my covenant if you obey me and you keep my covenant it's conditional it began completely by the generosity and sheer one-sided grace of God. Israel did nothing. But now that you're the people of God, now you live out obedience to God, and you keep the relationship um, going through your obedience as well. Now that you do that, look. now, Now if you do that, look what God is inviting them into. And he says to them this. He says, you will be my own special treasure among all the peoples of the earth to be my own special treasure. They were the, they, they were slaves to the gods of this world. And now, God says, you will be the special treasure of the God of the universe. They were slaves to the gods of this world. Now they're the special treasure of the God of the universe. He's saying, I'm going to love you. I'm going to bless you like no one else on earth. It sounds like the kind of things we say to our children, isn't it? if you're a parent, yeah, I said to my kids, uh, Jack, my boy, I'm so glad that of all the children in the whole world, Jesus gave you to me that I could be your dad. You are so precious to me, my boy. It's, it, 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 this is all, this is the language almost that God is using before his people. Maybe as I said that, you say, okay, but what about everybody else, Luke? Someone recently, a few months ago in our life group, said, "Well well, what about everybody else that wasn't part of the chosen people then? What about them? Look what God says in verse six. He says to them, "And you will be my kingdom of priests." What does a priest do? What is a priest? A priest stands between God and other people to help bring them closer to him." Israel were to be the priests to the nations who would go between God and the other nations so as in order to bring them to God, so as to lead them. Priests help dispense God's truth, God's justice, God's blessing and his will to other people. They intercede on behalf of other people so that they can be brought closer to God. And God says to Israel, not just to the Levites, not just to the special elite club of people within them, but to all the nation. You will be a nation of priests before the others. And then he says to them, my holy nation. As such as priests, you'll be my holy nation. You will be an example of holiness to the rest of the world of what it looks like to follow me. As you live in God's ways, as you follow this kind of heavenly ethic, Other nations will look upon you and they'll see who I am and what I'm like through your lives, and they will come to follow me as well. It's extraordinary, hey? What an invitation. This is what God invites Israel into. The big idea is God rescues us into a covenant relationship with Him. And these verses we've just read represent that proposal, that invitation into relationship with Him. How do Israel respond? They say, yes, of course, Moses, we're in. And so Moses goes back up the mountain, and he tells God the good news. And God says, okay, let's make this official, right? And what we see next here, though, is that this is not a relationship between equals. It's an incredibly privileged relationship, but it's not one between equals. God is perfect and holy, and they and we are not. So let's see how this plays out in terms of how the covenant is formed. Verse 10. And the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure that they are ready on the third day. For on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Now, now, now this is almost like. The days before the adoption day, right the, the days before the covenant day where it becomes official, where preparations are made there 's two days of consecration. consecration is just a fancy Bible word that means um, means set apart in devotion to God, two days of set apart being set apart in devotion to God. Uh, he tells them they to wash their clothes, which, which seems okay yeah, everyone wash their clothes, but you must remember how many people are there and they 're in a desert. They've got limited water sources. They're wandering through the desert. It wasn't a time in history where you wash your clothes every day, right? So suddenly, all of these people are forced to stop and all wash their clothes at the same time in two days. It must have been bedlam. Suddenly, they're all forced to go to the laundromat or the spring together. I, I'm imagining if Home Affairs was a water park, Right? <laughs> That's what's going on. But can you imagine as they all queue and they wait, the discussions, the excitement. What's it going to be like? God, the same God who did all the plagues, who who fed us in the wilderness, who did all. He's coming to meet with us. We're going to be his people. It must have been amazing. Verse 12, mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people. Be careful. Do not go up the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. What's going on here? This is no meeting between equals. God is holy. God is awesome. And he's not to be taken lightly. He's not to flippantly be just walked into, right? The reality is the awesomeness of God and our lack of awesomeness. God's holiness and our unholiness create a barrier or a chasm that separates us. God wasn't up there washing his clothes. He wasn't up there cleaning himself up to make himself nice, right? It wasn't the same thing going on in God's preparation as it was for our preparation, right? God has always been and, has, and, and is perfect. He cannot not be perfect. And so what was happening here among us as human beings, or among Israel as human beings, and what was happening with God were totally different things, because God is other Than us, he's different than us, and you can't just as an imperfect human being brazenly walk up to God, his holiness is like a consuming fire. And so, the people consecrate themselves, they set themselves apart, they wash their clothes, outwardly expressing uh, that they want to bring their best before God, they abstain from sex. What's going on there? No hibbity dibbity, none, right? What's going on there? To keep the main thing the main thing. God wanted them focused on him. This was about becoming spiritually ready to meet with God. It was about expressing devotion. uh, Almost like prayerfulness. Communion with God. And so God said, just focus on me and me alone. And then, I'll tell you in a second, I just need to drink some water. Um, We were up late around the fire last night. And uh, it was very smoky, so my voice is a little bit hoarse. Okay, here we go. What happens? They're ready. they prepared themselves. And on the morning of the third day, the thunder roared, the lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because the Lord descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky, The smoke, like like smoke from a brick kiln. The whole mountain shook violently as a blast from the ram's horn grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God thundered. His reply, it was a conversation, it was backward and forward, is the way it's described in the original text. You don't, you, you don't get that yet. Moses spoke, and then God thundered back. And the people saw and heard this. And the Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai, and he called Mo- Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. What's going on here? The loudest sound in the ancient world was thunder. Before speakers and amplifiers and everything, it was thunder, the brightest light in the ancient world. Was lightning long before lasers and fireworks and anything we know. This is the loudest sound, the brightest light, the most powerful force that the ancients knew or could imagine was here. So much so that the mountain itself literally was shaking as God manifests himself. And the sound got louder and louder and louder until it was overwhelming. The mountain was covered in smoke. I mean, the text literally says in Hebrew, it says, as As for Mount Sinai, smoke all of it. Just imagine it. All the people trembled. This treasured possession, special chosen among all the nations to be his. This holy people, this, this priesthood trembled. We must never lose sight of just who is inviting us into relationship with him. In a world that would cause us to think of ourselves as God's. To think of my will and my heart and my dreams and my desires on my iPhone and my others and my everything, me. In a world that would cause us to never want to be bored because I deserve to be entertained. I should be able to, in a world that would deify human beings. Here we see the chasm between us as humans and The wondrous God of the universe. And even after all the preparations, the chasm is still there. There is distance between them. God has to shroud himself in smoke in order that he's not clearly seen. And Moses still has to be the mediator between God and his people. There's still a barrier that separates them. And we will continue our story through the book of Exodus, mm-hmm. chapter 20, next week, as this meeting continues. But let's summarize and apply it to our lives. The big idea is God rescues us into a covenant relationship with Him. What does it mean for us as Christians right now? One parallel and one contrast. One similarity and one contrast. The parallel is this. Like Israel, you, like Israel, you and me... It's the same for us. Above all, God takes the initiative in bringing us to himself. God takes the initiative in bringing us to himself. He says to you, he says to me, I have carried you. I have brought you to myself. He has done the same in the life of every Christian, whether it be through the Christian family that you were raised in or for the way in which he rescued like me, a broken, messed up teenager, Through the most weirdest ways I could never imagine how he gets a hold of our life, he comes down to rescue you and he comes down to rescue me. And then he wants to introduce us like them into a life of relationship. But but it looks like followership where we're following God. The life of the Christian is a life of following God. It's not just believing the right things. It's a life of followership that translates into obeying God, where where how I live starts to reflect what God is like. That is what God is inviting you and me and us as a people, as the people of God, not, not the exclusive people of God in South Penn, but as the people of God in South Penn, God invites us to follow Him as a people. And as we follow Him, we begin to become like Him, and then we represent Him to our world. Except what's different here is... The The Christian life of obedience is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Christ makes us clean in a way in which Passover only foreshadowed, but we are made clean by Christ. And then we are filled by the Holy Spirit and we are empowered to live holy lives. He makes us new, and then he empowers us. Dallas Willard said this. He said, he said, a Christian trying to live a holy life, Christians burn through empowering grace more than a Boeing 747 jet burns through jet fuel. What he's saying is grace is not just to cover over your sin, but grace empowers us. It's the Spirit of God within you, within me, as we reach to live in Jesus' ways. He comes within, and he empowers us, and he sustains us. As you're a husband, and you, and you seek to live as, 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 as in the ways of God, as you're a wife, as you're a parent, as you're a friend, as you're a son or a daughter, and you seek to form our boss. You, you you draw grace from God, grace that empowers you. Grace when you have to make a difficult decision. Grace when you want to throw in the towel and you want you, you just it's just too hard. I can't. No, you can. God's grace is enough to you. As you as you draw, you pray for it. God, I need your grace to do this. It's so hard. I just want to. I just want to quit. I just want to. God, I draw your grace. Sustain me, Lord. The Christian draws the grace from God more than a Boeing 747 jet draws jet fuel. You have that in Christ. As you seek to live the obedient life, the life that models to the world the ways and wisdom of Jesus, you draw from him grace. Does that sound like your life? Are we settling for lower forms of holiness? Have we lost sight of the wonder and the privilege of being the people of God still as priests? sent into this South Peninsula to represent the ways and the wisdom and the will of God to our friends and our family members, to to the people that might bring you coffee or might uh, help you as you go about your work in the South Peninsula. We are those who are set apart, consecrated to be the people of God, to live in the ways and the wisdom of God, empowered by His Spirit as we do so. This changes everything. We're not just do more, try harder, bring our best. We're empowered. There is a new power source put at the center of your being. It's not your strength. It's his alive in you. The gospel that changes us comes with batteries to empower you to live in God's ways. Does that make sense? The second thing, though, by contrast, if you're a Christian, here's how you think of your life before God in a different way than they did then. Jesus went to the cross to purchase us with his blood in a way in which uh, Passover foreshadowed. But, But Christ, obviously, so much more powerfully, we're living in the, what they were dreaming of, we are now living in. The message of Sinai is come towards the mountain, but don't come too close because God is holy and you are not. The message of the blood of Jesus is come as close as you can come as close as you can. There is no sin that you have committed. There is no fault that you have made that Christ's blood does not forgive and cleanse and purify. So you can come in. You are made holy. You are made righteous by Jesus' work. And as though Sinai said, come close, but keep your distance. He says to you as his child, he says, come close as you can. How are you doing, Christ follower? Are you pressing in to the God of the universe? He invites you in to come as close as you can. Can I ask you a second, perhaps if you're here today or you're watching today and you're not a Christ follower. Well, if you're not following Jesus, who are you following? Who are you following? And let me ask you this question. Are they or is it whatever it or they are that you are following and obeying and sacrificing to, are they really worth it? Maybe you didn't even know you were following something, but make mo- make no mistake, we all follow someone. We all obey someone. David Foster Wallace, who was a, a, an author, an academic, at the height of his provi- uh, profession, an award-winning author, a novelist, a thinker, tragically... Uh, committed suicide in 2008, was an atheist, he gave a famous commencement address, and this is what he said in his commencement address, he said this, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism, everybody worships something, the only choice we get is what to worship, and pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive, he says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You worship your own body and your beauty and your sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when the time and when age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need more and more power to keep the fear of losing it at bay. Worship your intellect Being seen as smart and you'll end up feeling stupid and a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And he continued, Jesus is the only one we can worship who is truly selflessly benevolent as he has our best interests at heart. All of us worship and follow someone or something. Christ is the only one worthy of our worship. let 's stop there. Can I invite the band to come and I think we just, I just think we need to respond to God and we 're going to do it as individuals. Can we stand together in prayer? Come as close as you can, not because you deserve to, but because Jesus has made you righteous. Jesus has made you holy. Jesus has cleansed you. With a kind of cleansing that nothing else ever could, that you are invited in to become a child of God in cover your relationship with him as close as you can. How are you doing? Jesus, we stand before you. Most incredible invitation we'll ever hear in our lives to be your people. You would be our God. We would be your treasured possession. We would would be before before our world a holy people, a chosen people, a treasured possession, a, a family of priests, God. Your priests, your nation, your children. I pray, Lord Jesus, for individuals here today who've got stuck in the Sinai mindset of, I better keep my distance. God, God, yeah, God. He he graciously invited me in, but the, I just got to stay somewhere far away from Him, because because the closeness is for everybody else. But but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm like. If God if God really knew, then then that's why I just got to stay away. Don't you see, Jesus, the true and better mediator than Moses. Jesus went and lived the life you never lived on your behalf that when the father looks at you he doesn't see all that you've done he sees what Christ has done on your behalf and then he says come close my son come close my daughter you're my child come in come as close as you can If that's you. Would you come as close as you can as we sing this song? Maybe, maybe you'd say, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't following Jesus. But probably I was following the gods of this world. I'd say to you, so were Israel. They were slaves worshipping the gods of this world, the gods of their age. But God delivered them. To be his treasured possession. To follow him. Why don't you do that today? Why don't you forsaking all others? Whether it be your career, money, sex, power, beauty, intellect. Say, God, I want to follow you. to worship together as a church, the wonders of what Christ has done for us.